This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Ambulatory Surgery Center's podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Charles Fox, staff physician at Emory University Hospital Midtown in Atlanta and a gastroenterologist with Atlanta Gastroenterology, which is part of United Digestive. Dr. Fox, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Laura. Pleasure to be here. Well, I know we'll talk a lot about, you know, different trends in healthcare today and some of the things you're seeing uh, for the future. But first, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I'm originally from the D.C. area. I went to med school at Harvard and stayed in Boston for internship and residency at Mass General. Moved down the East Coast to do my fellowship at UVA and um, also got a MBA from uh, UMass and a certified physician executive degree from the AAPL. Uh, I've been in Atlanta with AGA for 16 years now, a third of my life, hard to believe. have served on multiple committees and as a medical director in the past, chief of GI, uh, chief of GI in uh, the hospital in the past, and um, have uh, really enjoyed practicing in downtown Atlanta. Well, fantastic. I, I think, you know, it sounds like a really interesting place to be. What about Atlanta is really attractive to you or, or makes it, um, you know, a place that you want to continue building your career? I love the diversity um, within our practice and within my patient population, um, not only the various types of physicians and service lines that we offer, but also the different types of patients I get to treat and the different types of disease uh, states I get to help evaluate. It definitely keeps you on your toes, that's for sure. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Dr. Fox, what are the three top trends that you're following in healthcare today? That's a great question. I think uh, number one right now for me has been essentially uh, telemedicine, virtual medicine, remote monitoring, all that's gone with that. The pandemic has obviously been horrible for our country, for the world, um, but one silver lining from a uh, practice of medicine standpoint is that it has unlocked um, virtual medicine. And I would say that I'm able to conduct uh, many of my established patient visits um, remotely now, including um, keeping close tabs and close follow-up on my patients who've had various uh, tests or trying new medications. Also, just focusing on value-based healthcare, uh, looking at costs and outcomes and the trends towards the different potential models in um, physician compensation that will evolve over the next several years. And I think what's very interesting is the patient consumerization that we're seeing, Um, whether it's patients giving online reviews of physicians individually or practices in general, um, the information and disinformation that's out there for internet searches for our patients and their various diseases, all of that is um, impacting the way that we interact with patients on a daily basis. Got it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I want to go back to when you're talking about the value-based care and potential physician pay models of the future, is there anything that you see as particularly promising or or something that you would like to to drive forward over the next several years? Or, you know, are you mostly at this point just observing and and seeing um, how you would react as uh, time goes on? The most important thing to me, Laura, is that physicians are following evidence-based medicine and are being judged based on the care that they're providing and the outcomes that their patients are reaching. 
and that we're eventually going to focus on that more than uh, simply only a fee-for-service based model. I think there needs to be um, some back and forth between those two models and some hybrid that eventually we settle on that enables um, patients to get the care that they need while physicians can also get the compensation that they deserve. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that you've been doing or plan on doing to, to um, differently in your practice to prepare for that eventuality of more value-based care and, and um, having to make decisions more kind of on additional data and evidence points? The most important thing for me is just close follow-up of, of the patients and monitoring their outcome and adjusting their treatment measures and their follow-up based on how they're responding to treatments. And then also just keeping up on the literature and what's appropriate um, in terms of endoscopic evaluation for me personally and my patients and a gastroenterology practice and uh, the latest um, new and more effective medications that are coming out for various diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease or celiac disease and the like. Got it. Fantastic. Well, I think, you know, that, that's really interesting to hear. And also thinking about your point on the patient consumerization and how they are taking more time to research thing on, things online and there's information and then disinformation out there. What are some of the, the common, I guess, misconceptions that patients come into your office with? A lot of it is lay press articles about side effects of medications and not understanding the way in which healthcare providers are able to weigh the risks and benefits of those. And it seems as though when patients hear about side effects of medication or complications from procedures, oftentimes, even though those are rare events in the patient's mind, it can override and outweigh any potential benefits, which oftentimes are much, much more likely to occur than some one-off, again, side effects or complications. Got it. Got it. That's so interesting. Um, And so, you know, when you do have a patient that comes in with some of these concerns, how do you typically approach that? And and what does that conversation sound like? I mostly just try to educate and inform folks and talk with them about just risk-benefit ratios and how to understand the information that they're receiving and how to interpret it, talk with them about risk in general. A lot of times my standard line will be, you know, it's much more dangerous for you to have ridden in a car to get here today than it will be for you to take this medicine or something along those lines. Absolutely. That, you know, definitely puts things into perspective, I think. (laughs) Correct. Um, Fantastic. Well, looking into the future, what do you think is the best opportunity for growth at your practice over the next year or two? I think that's a great question, Laura. I think that there are a lot of opportunities. For example, as you probably are aware, um, the American Society, um, excuse me, the American Cancer Society has changed the recommendation for the age at which patients should be screened for colon cancer from 50 and over uh, and decreased it to 45 and over. So potentially, if you're talking about screening patients from 50 to 85, which we do now, and then reducing that um, lower age to 45, um, you could potentially be increasing your patient pool by almost 15% by adding an additional five years um, age range worth of patients to your screening 
uh, colonoscopy population. And then along those same lines, one of my partners, a very brilliant guy by the name of Mark Sunshine, about five or six years ago, developed a direct access colonoscopy website for our practice, which is screenforcolancancer.com. And that allows patients to essentially, if they can pass a, a screening protocol online, uh, be able to schedule their own colonoscopy. Um, and in conjunction with some primary care practices within the city um, and internal uh, medicine and family medicine practices, we've been able to co uh, coordinate um, through coordinated care management programs, the ability to directly refer patients for screening colonoscopies as well. And then um, you and I were speaking before the podcast about telehealth expansion. And um, we had mentioned it briefly earlier that in order to reach rural and underserved areas, especially in my areas, uh, potentially, or I should say specifically uh, South Georgia, is a difficult area for uh, patients to receive the medical care that they need. Being able to expand access to rural and underserved areas through virtual monitoring and telehealth can also um, lead to a significant opportunity for growth as well. And then finally, just a, a bit of a one-off, but something that I'm keeping an eye on myself personally is endoscopic management of obesity. There are some uh, significant devices being developed right now and being studied that could potentially uh, be a, a growth opportunity for gastroenterologists to be able to treat patients with diabetes, fatty liver, and obesity in general uh, endoscopically. Sounds like there are a lot of different things that you can do um, to promote growth within the practice. And I'm thinking specifically when you were talking about telehealth and, and reaching, you know, additional areas being more convenient for patients, um, are, are there any um, roadblocks to continuing to spread that or are patients pretty well able to access um, vir virtual care and um, pretty willing to, to do that? The main roadblocks are um, the same thing that we saw for virtual school during the pandemic. Do patients have adequate access to computer hardware, to Wi-Fi or other ways to access the internet where they are? Um, and do they feel comfortable speaking about their medical conditions virtually to a physician? Um, and so it really comes down to uh, those uh, main potential barriers, and just obviously um, whether or not the payors, the insurance companies and government payors will continue to reimburse physician practices and uh, for the telemedicine um, interactions that they're having. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Dr. Fox, what are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? In regard to being a gastroenterologist um, and working at an ambulatory surgical center, I would say um, the most the thing that I'm most excited about is to utilize the technology that we have and the marketing capacity that we have to treat benign conditions and to catch and prevent precancerous conditions. So we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease and the like. We're talking about colon polyps and the like. And it's very exciting that the more we can market to and use our technology for treating these conditions, the more impact we're going to have on um, the population and on our patients' lives. And again, it's, it's about the diversity. 
Okay, that really excites me. I mentioned it earlier. The conditions that we treat within gastroenterology, the evolving serving service lines that we have, we are just so forward thinking within gastroenterology. We have so many options already at our fingertips in other modalities of treatment that are going to evolve over the next five to 10 years, that it's just an exciting time to be in our field. Dr. Fox, that sounds fantastic. On the flip side of things, is there anything that you are concerned about right now? The main thing I would say, Laura, right now is just keeping an eye on the replacement technologies that may not quite be ready for prime time right now that are being considered um, in regard to potentially being used for screening patients for colon cancer and polyps. And so that, that's the, the one thing I'm, I'm monitoring quite closely. I know many of my partners are, and certainly our primary care physicians and patients are looking at as well, and that I'm sure the Becker's ASC folks will be monitoring down the road as we go forward. Well, Dr. Fox, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thanks, Laura. It's been great.